Hi, this the is uh, Proact Sam with this week's Brought Living and Working Abroad podcast where we're looking at deal or no deal with Brexit. I uh, want to look at it from two perspectives and understand what expats and their family and business living and working abroad need to do. If you ever want any more information, uh, look at our website at proactpartnership.com. We've got some guides and some downloads that you can get uh, on everything an expat needs to know about residency, uh, protecting assets for business, uh, investments, uh, overseas property, and uh, in the event of death or or loss of health. So there's two ways to look at the Brexit situation. The big noise that we're hearing in the media is deal or no deal. Well, as we've been saying for many months now, there's no such thing as no deal. Uh, So let's first have a look at what we mean by that. There is already a deal to leave the EU in place. Uh, This is the withdrawal treaty that the EU and the UK have agreed. And everybody thinks this is right. The only catch is uh, a political vested interest in the Irish border, and which is the, the, the border of the EU, which is important to them. And it's, it's neatly been wrapped up inside of the political issue of the island of Ireland um, and whether that should remain as two separate states or, or not. And uh, big, big issues historically there. But, you know, coming from an island area, I can tell you that there didn't used to be any borders. Uh, the, the troubles brought some police checks, but there, there weren't the traditional customs border. There's a a common travel area between the island and the UK that predates EU and that will carry on and give EU uh, UK EU Irish citizens access to come and live and work in the UK without restriction and vice versa irrespective of, of, of whether the UK is in the EU or, or outside. So the political self-interest is, is what the putting the existing withdrawal treaty in place is about. If that withdrawal treaty goes ahead, then there's a transition period to December 2020. And in effect, nothing will change after that. The the UK and the EU will continue to operate under the same basis. And with the UK being fully outside the EU from December, uh, from January 2021. Um, so uh, what needs to happen is that either the UK can agree with the EU or the EU can alter its position uh, and agree with the UK to allow everything to be approved by all sides and the vested interest in the British Parliament among the the parliamentary and the political groupings with big business and uh, the EU with their political budgetary deficit when the UK leaves. there's a summit on the 21st of March. So uh, a week before the UK leaves uh, the EU on the 29th, there is a summit. This is quite a momentous time because it's the end of a, a parliament, a, a, a life cycle for the EU governance. Now, the EU elect MEPs, but the uh, EU Commission and all the bureaucrats and commissioners that are um, operating and influencing and managing and implementing EU policy are not elected directly, democratically 
in the sense that you, you, the man in the street doesn't have a vote to elect those people. These are appointed by the governments, by the heads of state, um, and obviously when they're appointed, it, it's the people that are nominated to put through. So you've got a lot of, um, you know, an insular world in pointing the, the, the people that run the EU Commission and that in itself creates the organisation which is the EU. That all changes. Um, there's new elections, new MEPs come in and then new commissioners are appointed and a new EU Commission takes place and, and moves forward. The EU, from a purely practical point of view, will want to agree Brexit and get it finished by the end of March. That, that, that is a given. It doesn't matter what they're saying now, they do not want this to carry on into the next parliamentary period, irrespective of all the problems. For that, all they have to do is find an agreement that is acceptable to the UK and themselves. Now, at the moment, it, that those simple final adjustments are being hard-balled out, and it's a question of who will blink first. Um, <clears throat> but... My prediction is that uh, there's a summit on the 21st uh, and 22nd of March of EU leaders. My prediction is the week before, suddenly there'll be a big breakthrough and the EU will agree to something that they would have agreed to a year ago if they didn't think they could negotiate and get some more concessions out of the UK. And the UK uh, will agree if the vested interest in the UK political uh, parties um, hadn't thought they could get more out of the deal but by delaying the decision and suddenly everything will be agreed a week before the summit it'll be ratified lots of handshakes and the withdrawal treaty will go ahead on the 29th of March and 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 that will be the breakout and there'll be some last minute concessions for the EU or the UK and it's who gets the, the concession that they want to claim are winners and losers but that will enable the smooth running of the EU to proceed, which is what the EU Commission will want. And uh, I, I think that that is very likely to happen. So given that we know there is a withdrawal treaty and it, it's, it, it's a simple process to get to the, uh, an agreement and concessions either from the EU or from the UK or for the, to find a third way before the 21st of March, then we know what's going to happen with the withdrawal treaty and how we can proceed. And expats can prepare their residency, their working life, their social insurance arrangements, their medical, their, their business, and, and how to protect their property, their wills and their trusts and their investments uh, through the withdrawal treaty to a post-Brexit uh, UK and EU. So that's the scenario that, that we think will probably happen. But then the second part of this podcast today is who needs a deal? Who needs a deal anyway? When you look at the top three economies in the world, USA, Japan and China, they all trade among themselves using world trade rules. There are international treaties for trade, for travel, um, for driving licenses um, that, that, that mean that, and, and for tax, uh, that, that mean that the, there's a format in which countries operate unless there is a specific bilateral trade agreement. 
Now, the Americans love buying lateral trade agreements and that's how they will choose to operate with everybody on money laundering, on taxation and on trade if they can. But among the biggest uh, countries, they, they just operate under the world trade rules. This is the norm. This is the international agreements and treaties that are in place to make sure the world works in a fairly consistent way, which is why you generally recognise the, the passport, immigration, uh, taxation rules, the money laundering rules around the world. It could be slightly different accent, language, slightly different requirements in each country, but they do look similar. And this is because of the international treaties, including world trade, OECD tax, um, and international travel treaties, um, and, and visa arrangements. Um, and the USA, Japan and China operate under free World Trade Organization trade rules for their trade and customs. Um, so who needs the EU? The EU organizes um, trade deals for the 27 uh, EU countries. And from the rest of the world's perspective, Europe is a very rich place uh, with five of the top 20 economies in it. So it's a good place to do business, but um, you know there, there are barriers to entries. Australia has quotas on on goods it can, and and produce that it can ship into the EU. Um, the, the, there's generally a, a price, a customs tariff that a country has to pay to import into the EU, which increases prices for consumers by around ten percent in 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 the in the EU. So if you're trading on world trade rules, suddenly food, uh, commodities, uh, cars could all become cheaper if they weren't sourced from the EU and they weren't trading within the EU's free trade zone. But remembering that people from outside that free trade zone have to pay a premium. So those that want to stay in the, in the EU and don't want change, but also they want to maintain there's no customs barrier between each other. Uh, but let's remember that although there's no customs barriers and no tariffs with trading with Portugal or Poland or Cyprus or Germany, um, the, the goods that are imported from China or Japan or USA or Brazil or South Africa, all are getting import uh, tariffs placed on them or quotas. Uh, to limit the competition and inflating the prices within the EU. USA, Japan, China don't have that. They operate under world trade rules. Everybody knows where they stand, they operate themselves. The fourth largest economy, Germany, their two biggest trading partners are USA and China. So even though they're in the EU, they're making all their money, the most of their money outside the EU. So do they need the EU? Well, yes, they, they actually, Germany makes a lot of money from the EU because they, they, they create the wealth. So they are, Germany are the USA of Europe. So USA is the biggest economy and sucks in a currency investment and, and, and wealth into the USA as a dominant international economy. Germany is doing that in the EU and getting stronger and stronger at the expense of uh, you know, countries like 
uh, Greece and Cyprus and Italy and Spain and Portugal are having to go through generational 20, 30 years economic transformations to operate under a similar system as Germany. Uh, and, and meanwhile, wealth is, is being exported uh, to Germany. No bad thing, because the Germans then reinvest back out into the EU. But let's bear in mind that Germany's biggest trade partners are USA and China, not the UK, not France, not Spain. So there's no reason why the fifth largest economy in the world, the UK, cannot operate outside the EU without a, a trade deal with the EU. Um, yes, it's a large chunk of the world that they would not be connected with. And yes, it would be a big change. But the world is full of constant change. Um, we, we're lucky in the last 70 years not to be involved in, in massive world wars. But wars go on all the time and, and bring about change. <clears throat> but if we can look at countries like Russia with been dramatic political, social, economic upheaval in the last 20 years, meant massive changes for everybody and there's been some winners there have been some losers is Russia better off than 20 years ago it is for some it's not for others but it is different and change has happened and the same can be said of China it's gone from a closed economy socialist state to the the, the world's second biggest economy and you know the forefront of technology um, space exploration and international wealth. So again, there's been winners and losers um, in, in, in China, um, but it is change and that change has meant a lot of transition for people. There's been EU expansion over the last 20 years. The small, rich Northern European club that the EU was has been expanded to include Southern European and Eastern European states. So countries that were never part of the original Denmark, Germany, uh, Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, France, EU uh, have suddenly come into the fold and it's now including Malta that in the mid 60s had a, a referendum to see whether they wanted to become part of the UK like Gibraltar um, and, and Cyprus, Germany and the, uh, you've got Czechoslovakia, Slovenia Macedonia are applying, Croatia uh, are in, Serbia are, are trying to get in. Will Kosovo and Albania be come in? So the EU can ab absorb all these poor Southern Euro European, Eastern European states and get additional cheap labour to help them uh, create more wealth going forward in the way that we've experienced in the UK for the last 40 years. So. But the EU has undergone massive changes, massive changes. The euro was introduced in 2007, um, the, the, um, as, as well as the expansion, bringing in these extra countries from year to year. So big changes there. Cyprus as, a, as an island was, was outside the EU and with its own currency. And within a three year period, it joined the EU and, and then it joined the euro and this brought about massive, massive structural changes which helped to contribute to you know, the banking collapse that they had in, in 2013 and from which the country still recovers as it reorganises 
itself into a modern state, which, you know, for any country is going to take 10, 20, 25, 30 years um, to, to migrate and become a, like, like a Germany. All these countries have had constant change. And, and so who needs a deal? Who, who needs a deal when th there is already an operating system outside the EU? The UK could leave. It would mean change. That change over 20 years might be for the better or it might be for the worse, but it will be different. And, and the UK is one of the top five economies in the world, could easily uh, be trading with major trade partners like the USA, Japan and China. And uh, with no deal, they could still make negotiate a, a, a trading treaty. And if the EU don't negotiate a free trade agreement with the UK, then the UK will trade under the world trade rules like, like other countries do, and that's okay. And uh, the supply line issues w will come in. But again, all those are manageable. Anybody that imports into the EU from Japan or China, whether it's through the UK or not, still has to pay the EU use quotas and import tariffs. So that's always going to be an issue uh, for anybody who wants to do business with the EU, whether they do it through the UK or not. So the world will change and you don't need a deal to be able to move forward. Uh, and again, expats should prepare, knowing what the situation is for anybody outside the EU under international treaties uh, needs to do to deal with their country. So to protect their property, their business, their residency, their healthcare and, and the social insurance funds, we can now look at what third party rules are and those are the changes that a company needs to be made. It might mean, mean they need a, a branch in the EU. It might mean they need a branch in the UK. It might mean that the EU citizen has to be in the UK by the 29th of March or by the end of the transition period in December 21. Um, whether there's a deal or no deal, one, is, one thing is absolutely sure, there's no such thing as no deal. There will be international treaties in place that allow Brexit to happen on the 29th of March and business and families need to plan ahead and look at what, what we can do today to start progressing and moving forward. This is Sam Olgill from Project Partnership. Uh, look at our Living and Working Abroad uh, on our website at projectpartnership.com. We can download further guides to tax, residency, uh, asset protection and uh, guides to EU Brexit for expats, overseas property, business and, and pensions. Uh, if you've got any questions, you can talk to us through Facebook and we'll get back to you straight away. And uh, if you've got an inquiry, let us know through contact us at the, our website. And maybe, who knows, we could feature your question on our next podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll speak to you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. The ProAct Know-How, brought to you by ProAct.